the Sunday Sermons Podcast. This morning we start a brand new series simply called Jesus. It's going to last a little bit because we're going to walk through his entire life little by little. Mostly in chronological order, but as we hit some of the really big ideas that happen over and over, or as we meet some of the key people in the story uh, that have several scenes, we're, we're going to kind of play play around with the story a little bit, not change the story, but kind of not stick to this happened, this happened, this happened. We're going to kind of step back and see the big picture a little bit. Uh, I'm excited to do this with you as we look back at Jesus and all that we celebrated last week, as we look forward at his return, and as we look right here, right now, what he's doing among us and what he wants to do among us. So this is going to be all about Jesus. Uh, if, you, if you know me at all, you know I love coffee. Probably way too much. I really do. Uh, anybody else like coffee? Okay, good. So you know that it's almost a miracle that when you grind up these toasted beans and you pour hot water in it and the hot water kind of drifts through, it changes. It starts out just water, but on the other side, it's something else entirely. Do you know what I'm talking about? That's called percolation. We're going to be percolating in Jesus for a little bit. Or how many here like to cook? Anybody like to cook? Hallelujah. Uh, I, I like to eat and, and also cook a little bit. But uh, marination is another wonderful thing. You can soak meat or vegetables or whatever else in a solution and somehow all of it takes on the same basic flavor and still retains its own good stuff. We're going to marinate together in Jesus. Is this making some sense? Do you see how this is going to work? We're just going to try to get to know Jesus. We're going to soak in Jesus and see what happens. And this is the kind of intense relationship Jesus wants us to have with him. He wants us to truly know him. All of the images that he used uh, about himself and how he interacts with us have to do with something that's a daily, close, intimate thing. Last week, we looked at his image of a shepherd. In John 10, he said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. And again, as we looked at last week, uh, what, what he's talking about there is at that moment is not talking about uh, going to heaven when you die as much as becoming part of his flock, period. And, and it goes on. There is an experience that starts in the here and now and then lasts into eternity. He says they will go in and come out and find pasture. He's not talking about heaven. He's talking about they're going to be following him in real time right now. Before then, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. And again, eternal life with Jesus is eternal, but it starts here. It starts now. It starts when you start to follow him. Jesus came to restore us. Not just to tweak us a little bit. Not just to change us a little bit. Not just to inspire us a little bit. But to actually restore us. My friend Jaime Mendoza, I asked permission so I could use his name. He's, he's an incredible builder and uh, he has a restoration business. And the other day... He, um, somebody asked him if he flipped houses, and he goes, oh, no, 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 no. That's putting lipstick on a pig. <laughs> he said, I actually restore houses. I build houses that um, my family, I would be proud to put my family in. We actually change the whole thing from the ground up and make amazing houses. 
And I respect that. And that's the concept that Jesus wants to do in us. Jesus came to restore. Would you say that out loud with me? Here we go. Ready? Jesus came to restore. And here's the first thing that we're going to talk about today, at least, that he came to restore. He came to restore an eternal perspective. An eternal perspective. And here's what that means. Because of Jesus, every single one of us has a chance to play a vital part in the big story, the real story. Everybody on earth has a chance because of Jesus to play a vital part in the big story. See, the, the lie that most of us fall for most of the time is that our lives are just about us. That from the moment we are born in the moment we die on this planet, we've got just a little bit of time, and the best thing we can do is make ourselves happy. How many have ever heard this lie before? How many have ever fallen for it? I'm raising my hand. At least once, at least for a series, a, a season, you, you, you kind of, this is what life's about. This makes me happy, and I've only got this little bit to be happy, so I deserve it. I'm going to be happy. But life is about so much more than that, and Jesus restores that to us, a healthier perspective where we realize that we're part of something way bigger than any of us individually could ever be. God, throughout the scriptures, says this bigness about himself and about Jesus. Revelation 1.8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. John, when he begins the story of Jesus, goes all the way back before the beginning in Genesis. Genesis's beginning is the beginning of what we now call the space-time continuum. The clock as we know it started ticking when God started creating on those first couple of days. But before that, there was already God and angels and all kinds of other... There was something else. We're not sure what happened, but there, that was before. And when this whole earth is over, there's going to be a lot more on the other end. Everybody understands this, right? We got this. And Jesus restores us into that again. He takes us back. And so John begins his gospel. In the beginning was the Word. And he uses these wonderful images to, to talk about Jesus. One was Logos. The word word there, it just means it's, it's translated from a Greek word logos, and that was a philo philosophical term at the time. They all believed that at somehow, some way, there had to be an ultimate source of truth, an ultimate source of goodness for there to be truth and goodness at all. And that there had to be an ultimate measuring stick for anything that's real or good or right to be measured against. They kind of reason this out. And say so the, the Greek philosophers called this the logos. So he uses that. And then he uses some common images throughout the Old Testament. Light as opposed to darkness. And life as opposed to death. And so he starts the story of Jesus like this. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that, I'm sorry, in him was light. And I got it right the first time. Let's try that one more time. In him was life, and that life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it. Isn't that a wonderful beginning? 
tell a wonderful story. Mark just jumps right in. Mark was the shortest gospel. It was the first one that got written down. Uh, people were telling these stories uh, long before Mark wrote it down, but he was the first one. He just jumps right in. The beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. But like all of the gospel writers, he presents Jesus from the get-go as the rescuer, the anointed Savior, the Messiah, the Christ, the only one who can save us, the only one who did save us, the only one who can still save us. And by save, I mean actually restore us in ways that nobody else could. Matthew starts his, which is primarily directed to Jewish people like this. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. Once again, the, the rescuer imagery. But he specifically says the son of David, the son of Abraham. But back to John. He says the word was made flesh and made his dwelling among us. That word dwelling, by the way, is the same word that is sometimes tra translated as tabernacle. It's, a, it's the place, the connection between God and people. It's where we can go to be with God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Notice that this is John who's saying this. Notice that he uses the word see. We'll come back to that in just a second. John is the one that we taught. We looked at this verse last week as well. John 14, 6 to 7. This is the kind of thing Jesus said about himself all the way. This is why this is so important. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Why? Because we know quite a bit about Jesus. And if you don't, keep coming back every week. You will soon. We're going to walk through everything. But here's the second thing that we're highlighting today that Jesus wants to restore in us. Jesus came to restore God's image in us. Would you say that? Uh, you can't see the beginning of the thing. God, Jesus came to restore God's image in us. Let's say it together. Jesus came to restore God's image in us. See, all the way back again. John, that's why John starts all the way back. He wants our imaginations to go all the way back to creation, where God, through Jesus, and with the Holy Spirit also in there, bringing order out of the chaos, somehow in ways we'll never totally understand, he actually starts creating something out of nothing. And then he starts ordering it and changing it and making this amazing stuff. In the pinnacle of his creation were human beings, male and female, both made in the image of God, both equally made in the image of God, both teamed up to work with each other and with God to keep creating and to keep cultivating and to keep multiplying and to keep making things new and fresh and even better than they already were. This was the dream at the beginning. And when we go back to the beginning, we remember that's the way it was supposed to be. And then it got broken, right? You've heard this story before, right? Sadly, it all got messed up. And yet, from that point, there 
promising there will be this rescuer that will come, and that is, of course, Jesus himself. Jesus showed us exactly what God would do if he lived a human life. Remember those WWJD bracelets? I think sometimes we, we all got a little bit distracted by that because what I think Jesus would do is not necessarily what Jesus would actually do. Are you following me on that? Well, Jesus would do this. So that's why I'm not sure I'm always right. I'm not sure you're always right. But the idea of trying to figure out what Jesus would do, that's why we're trying to percolate and marinate in him right now. Because we should know the kind of things Jesus did. And the kind of things that just by reading the story of what he did that we would realize he would never do. The kind of things that Jesus would say. The kind of things he did say is how we know what he might say. And the kind of things he did say can give us a pretty good clue about the kind of things that he never would say. Even if somebody comes to us and said, Jesus told me this. We should all be able to go, well, that sounds like Jesus. Let me pray about it. Or we should be able to say, you know, I don't know who you're hearing, but that's not Jesus. Because <laughs> I know Jesus, and Jesus would never say anything like that. But Jesus came to make it possible for all of us to actually have God's image restored in us. That what had been broken, what had been destroyed, our core identity as people who had been made in the image of God himself could actually be restored. And only he could have made that happen. And his whole story just drips with that intention and the strategy and the planning that that goes. You probably heard the story of Christmas as well. Can I get you to raise your hand one more time? Everybody heard this one? It's awesome. We'll come back to a few details. I just want to highlight a couple this morning. uh, Since we'll, we'll be digging pretty deep in that in just a few more months here. And here's the thing. Every detail about that, where he was born and how he was born and who he was born to and who came to visit him and what the angels said. And every single part of that story is so intentional and so beautiful. This is a really cool scene. On the eighth day, Mary and Joseph took Jesus to Jerusalem to get him circumcised. And if you remember from the last couple weeks, it wasn't that far away from Bethlehem. As a kid, I always imagined Bethlehem and Jerusalem are almost different states or something, but they're, they're really pretty close. They could have walked this and walked home on the same day if they were really serious about it, maybe stayed the night. But they go to Jerusalem just eight days after Jesus had been born in Bethlehem, and when they get there, two old people come up to talk to them, two strangers. One is an old man named Simeon who's just had this promise, this this revelation from God that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah actually show up. And on the day that Jesus shows up in the temple for the first time as a baby in his mother's arms, Simeon gets the word from God. There he is. There he is right now. And here he comes. If you ever had little kids and people, just strangers, come up, oh, my gosh, look at him, look at him. It's, it's, it's really cool, and it's also a little bit scary. You know what I mean? But imagine Mary and Joseph coming in there and looking around for, I think it's called, a, I can't remember the term, but the person who circumcises uh, Jewish babies. And then they, they're looking around, and instead, here comes this guy. <gasps> there he is. But listen to what he says. 
Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. This is going to change everything. And then he gives them some pretty scary warnings. He actually has this thing. And then here comes Anna, the prophet. She's someone who speaks on behalf of God. We don't know that much about her, but she shows up. It doesn't even tell us that much of what she said. It just tells us that she spoke to the people that were there that day and kind of made sure that they all understood what was going on, not just Mary and Joseph. And then we just get this one little glimpse of Jesus as a kid. Probably heard this one too. But it's worth revisiting, especially because of something very important he said in the middle. In Luke chapter 2, verses, starting with verse 41, we see something really wise that Mary and Joseph are doing. They have made a habit of taking Jesus to worship God. It's part of their regular rhythm. Remember, we've been talking a little bit about rhythms and practices and making sure that the things that we do over and over and over again are formational. They actually shape us in good directions. Please, please give me a nod or a thumbs up or something you understand. Okay, good. Hallelujah. It's getting through. But notice that that's what they're doing here, and that's part of why what happened happened. This was something they did every single year, and they did it with their entire extended family. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom, something they did over and over. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day, and they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but if you're a parent, probably at some point, even for just a second, five minutes, something, you lost at least one of your kids. Can you imagine... Losing the Son of God. <laughs> Can you imagine the fear and what, what's going on? Uh, here, here's how I imagine this. Uh, it, it says that they think he's in their company, so they traveled on for a day, and they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. That's what we know for sure. Here's how I picture it. They're totally cool at this point because they know Jesus. He's literally the best kid ever. You don't have to worry about Jesus. You know he's not up to no good. He, he's with the cousins. He's fine. He's good. He knows we always come to the temple and we always go home. He's good. Jesus is good. But at the end of the day, it's dinner time or whatever is that part of their daily routine. And they're like, you know what? Has anybody seen Jesus? No, seriously. Has anybody seen Jesus? Nobody's seen Jesus. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, notice there's a three. Does that sound familiar to anybody? But also, can you just kind of let that percolate for a second? Can you imagine 
three days and you don't know where the Son of God is? And you're his stepdad? You're his birth mom? I can't even imagine. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. There are probably a couple other things, too. I'm just going to, I'm just going to. Just, that's a good way. That's obviously true. It's in the Bible. But I'm pretty sure there was more than just astonishment going on. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And, of course, if you've ever been around a mom, you know she said it exactly like that. Just as calmly and matter-of-factly as I just did. Exactly just like that. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Asked Jesus. Let's get that whole thing in. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. This doesn't sound like Jesus to me. But that's part of what we're trying to do here and trying to just marinate in this story because how dare I or anybody else say, well, that doesn't sound like Jesus. That is Jesus. That's exactly what the Bible tells us about Jesus. We need to start here and try and figure it out from there. Not go, well, you know, Jesus wouldn't really have meant that because he's Jesus. Well, who is Jesus? that I'm measuring Jesus in the Bible against. Do you understand what I'm saying? Let's, let's try and dig a little deeper. Uh, you might notice, depending on what version of the Bible you're reading out, that some versions translate that a little differently. Most of them say, in my father's house. A lot of them say something like, in, about my father's business. The reason it's a little bit unclear is because in the Greek, it's a construction that we don't have in English. And everybody goes, oh, here we go again. But seriously, this will actually clear this up. Listen, this is cool. In Greek, you could leave out just a blank, and it meant a lot. The, the way it reads in Greek is, I, didn't you know that I needed to be in the of my father? Slow it down just a little bit. Didn't you know I needed to be in the of my father? He doesn't say house. He doesn't say business. What, it, what he's saying is the stuff of my father. If it's business, it's in the sense of, hey, stay out of my business. Mind your own business. Or this is my business. Are you with me on that? It's the stuff of his father. It's everything. You see the same construction several times in the Bible, one of which is in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 33, where Paul says that married men have to, uh, they're not as free as single men because they also have to be aware of the, of the world, of the, of the world, of the stuff of the world. You got to make sure you're providing and protecting and you're always, you've got a line of people that are depending on you all the time. So you're not as free. He doesn't have to list all those things. He's just, it's just there. It's implied. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here is, didn't you know that I have to be about my dad's stuff? I have to be where dad's doing stuff. This is, this is my business. This is what I do. 
Luke 2 continues. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. That's it. That's all we know about Jesus till he's an adult. That one little story. But it's pretty intriguing, isn't it? And we already see him making it very clear, I'm not a regular kid. And yes, I love and respect my earthly parents, but my real dad has got himself. And the real reason I'm here is the stuff he sent me to do. The one little glimpse, that's what we see. Which is really important because that's part of what he's trying to do. Apostle John, again, back to chapter 1, his version of it. He says something. Remember, I told you to remember that he himself said that we've seen Jesus, seen God's glory. Notice what he says just a couple verse later, because a lot of people get really confused by this, and we're going to try and dig into this one real quick, too. He says, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. A lot of people who really want to find problems with God or with the Bible, they instantly point to this verse. They're like, wait a second, wait a second. The Old Testament says that Moses saw God. And Isaiah said, I have seen the Lord high and lifted up. And they list several other places where I'm pretty sure somebody saw God. Abraham saw an angel of the Lord that he treated as God. Might have actually been God in some sort of human form, depending on how that worked. I could go on and on. There's some examples. John himself, just a couple verses away uses the same thing. It says, we have seen his glory. We have touched it. We have been around it. So maybe we should look at some other things John said to really get that. What does he mean by see? I think it has to do with the third thing that we're highlighting today that Jesus came to restore. And that is our relationship with him. See, every day we have the chance because of Jesus to be in the family restoration business. He's made it possible for us to know him. Here's some other things that John said that has to do with seeing and touching. See if we smash them all together if it doesn't make a little bit more sense. I don't think he's literally saying no one ever physically saw God in a vision or literally. That's not his point. See if you can figure out by all the other things John said about this what he meant. First John chapter 4, verses 11 to 12. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. This is the same guy writing the same thing, using the same idea again. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. The verses right before that. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice to our sins. Is the picture starting to get a little clearer? You're starting to see how this is working? He's not talking about physically seeing. He's talking about really getting it in the sense of, I see. Oh, I see. I get it now. I, I, there's a couple of things in my life that I could tell you there's been those mo moments. One was the first day I dropped my oldest son Noah off at kindergarten. Up till then, I'd already been a youth minister for several years. 
And I really took it personally that people had so many questions about how we were going to transport kids and what kind of safety measures we were taking. I was like, seriously? I do this for a living. I know what I'm doing. Trust me. You really think I'm going to just play fast and loose with your kids? Till I drop my own kid off. And I was like, gosh, I hope that teacher knows what she's doing. Oh. I see now. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'd seen those parents before. I'd seen that teacher before. But in that moment, I saw something I'd never seen before. I think that what John is talking about has something to do with that. Let's keep going. He says, 1 John 1, 1 to 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. 1 John 1, verses 3 to 4. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. See what's happening here? He's inviting you to experience Jesus the way he experienced him, as a shepherd, as a friend. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Because we're going to do what Jesus came to do. We're going to reach the whole world and restore the whole thing. Bring back an eternal perspective. Bring back the restored image of God. Respecting each other, not because we're just made to, but because we really see that we're all made in the image of God. But we all are broken, and we all need healed. And the only way to be healed is Jesus. And so we're going to just dig deeper and deeper into Jesus together. We're going to be restored in a relationship with God. A relationship with each other that could actually work if we do it His way. By percolating, by marinating in the ways Jesus taught us to live. See, this eternal perspective, this is what gives us a reason to live. This is why every day matters. This is what gives us a reason to live. God's image in us is what we need to reflect to the world. Not what we wish God was like, what we think God is like, what we feel God is like, but what God is actually like. And the best lens in that is his revelation of Jesus Christ, his son who lived and breathed and died and rose again and all the other things he did on this earth. We're going to look at the world again through the lens of that because that's how we know exactly what we're supposed to reflect to the rest of the world. And we're also going to dig deeper into our relationship with him because that's how we live this out, by daily hearing his voice and doing what he tells us to do, by daily looking at the things we already have in front of us every day written down. We already know this stuff, and that's going to help us get to know what he's like when he speaks to us in other ways. Here's the invitation today. First of all, we're also starting an uh, online Bible study that I'll tell you much more about later. I left the paper somewhere else. There's only a couple printouts because it's so much easier to use it digitally these days. But it's going to be online. There's a couple of printed copies. If you just don't do social media, don't do online, you can grab a couple at the Welcome Center. We'll send them out later. 
But basically, we're just going to walk through all of these scriptures that we looked at today, a couple from next week. We're going to keep going through that, just a little bit, bite-sized pieces every day, so that if you're willing, we can all marinate and percolate in Jesus together. We're going to, again, very loosely go through his entire life story over the next 100 days. We invite you to do that. But today, today, there's probably something about God's business, the of God that he's calling you into and something in you we're all taught to articulate it differently maybe what you're sensing right now you would call guilt or conviction or I don't know what you'd call it maybe you would say I am hearing the voice of Jesus speaking to me right now I'm not sure exactly what you're experiencing right now but if God is calling you if God is telling you to do something today whatever that is I'm asking you to do it one more time, I'm going to go to the back this time. If somebody wants to talk about something, we'll talk back there. If you've got a decision to make, give your life to Jesus, join the church, anything at all. You can pray up here, pray at the back, come talk to us, whatever you need to do. But as we stand and as we sing, make a step in the direction of Jesus Christ himself. Thank you.